Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My partner on this program, Alex Ashkin, scored an interview with a person who, 30 years ago, spearheaded a revolutionary change in an entire industry. Steve Ashkin became known as the father of green cleaning. More and more consumers ranging from large corporations to weekly grocery shoppers are becoming aware that the products we use to clean our countertops, wash our windows, scrub our tubs, and even shampoo our hair have the potential to harm our environment and make us sick. A bevy of new products, safer products, are now available and being used by millions of consumers. And not only was Steve Ashkin the father of green cleaning, he's also the father of none other than Alex Ashkin. If you missed last week's part one of the Ashkin-Ashkin conversation, go to WFHB.org and select Programs for the Big Talk Archive, where you'll find that edition, as well as all the Big Talks aired over the years on this station. We left off last week with Alex asking Steve how we went about changing the market dynamics in the cleaning products industry. Steve explained how he approached the key levers of power, the visionaries, the inventors, the manufacturers, the regulators, the influencers, and the consumers, both corporate and individual, inspiring them, unifying them, until the green cleaning bandwagon had virtually everyone on board. The Ashkins continue along those lines this week as we join part two of Alex Ashkin's chat with the father of green cleaning and his own father, Steve Ashkin. This is Big Talk. In order to be able to be successful at market transformation is being able to identify what are the key levers of power and engaging them and creating a bit of a, uh, not just a coalition, but a cohesive and shared goal and that groundswell of institutional pressure and change will carry some of the smaller actors as well. The local school corporations, small businesses, individual consumers, and so on. And so, you know, I'm somewhat fortunate working in the cleaning industry. And where I'm going with this is there's companies in the technology space where the evolution of the technology is changing so quickly that people really are just focused on performance-related issues and cost-related issues, right? You know, whether you're looking at cell phones or you're looking at gaming devices or, you know, the technology is evolving. So, you know, their research and development dollars really focused on advancing that technology. But in the space where I work, you know, as I mentioned earlier in in the show, People have all figured out how to make a glass cleaner clean glass. It's not a performance issue anymore. 
So what we've really done is understand what drives the manufacturers in our space. And it's really quite simple. This is not complicated. It's called money. It's called increasing sales and increasing profits. It is right. not complicated. Yep. So because everyone made glass cleaners that clean glass, let's carve out a, an opportunity for companies to grow market share because people wanted to buy a glass cleaner that used a more environmentally preferable alcohol or solvent-based system or because it had lower VOCs, which reduced the potential for it to trigger an asthma, asthma attack for somebody that might be, you know, have some respiratory sensitivity. So that's what we simply did is recognize, you know, if we make it easier for companies to make a buck doing this, they're going to do it. It is not complicated. And that's what we set out trying to do. Make it easy for them, create demand for the products, reward the movers and shakers, the innovators, make sure that they weren't greenwashing, that they were doing the right thing so that purchasers could have confidence what they were doing, developing third-party certifications to make it easy for purchasers to specify all the different attributes they'd want in a product that was safer for health and the environment and on and on and on. And that's how we were able to drive change. All right. So it sounds like it isolating a few key processes, right? Facilitating sales, connecting suppliers with buyers. Regulatory, whether it's either governmental or industry-based to ensure that people are meeting certain specific goals, whether it was a performance standard or a health or environmental standard. A bit of a business development case, in a sense, where not just beyond suppliers, but being able to make those initial ingredients available at a price where they can be cost competitive with their conventional counterparts. And then most importantly, education. When that product, when these new goods reach their final consumers, that they are using them correctly, using the correct protective equipment if that's necessary, making sure that they're diluted correctly, that there's correct exposure time and so on and so forth. How does this differ when we're talking about, let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say you're trying to either sell to a university versus perhaps somebody who's running a sporting arena and event venue, and you have the ability to influence them through some sort of institutional group, whether you're talking about the Green Sports Alliance or Project Green Schools or the Healthy Schools Campaign, groups like that. Is there a way that you can craft your message to ensure that it engages the potential buyer the best so that you get the most desired outcome? So, so the first thing that I want your listeners to understand is that I, I don't sell cleaning products. I don't make them. I, you know, I don't do that anymore. I did that a long time ago. You know, I really am a social entrepreneur, you know, somebody who's legitimately trying to change things. So what, what we really do is 
you know, if we were trying to sell to IU, which we work with IU, um, we got involved with, you know, the Big Ten actually has a group that worked with all the facility folks who care for IU's buildings, right? I mean, there's a professional association that does that. And, you know, I was asked early on to go in and to speak to them and to try to help them understand what the opportunity is and to help them address, you know, perform product performance issues and address other things like cost, right? Because they're, they have a responsibility to make sure they're not wasting public money. So we had to address cost-related stuff. We had to address training-related things. We had to address public purchasing, right? You can't just specify one company. It has to be open to others to get you know, the best um, pricing, you know, best value pricing, what have you. So we work with those organizations to help them do that, to educate them, to provide purchasing documents. We understood how procurement works in a public institution. And we help them develop those tools because the purchasing people not only bought cleaning products, they bought paper clips and they bought basketballs and they, you know, they bought, you know, paper and they bought all kinds of stuff. They weren't particularly experts from a technical perspective of what you should look for in a glass cleaner. So we helped them put together all that stuff to make it easy for the institutions to do it. And we did it in a way that all their peers spoke the same language. Right, instead of every institution sort of reinventing the wheel to really help them understand for a particular product category, here really were the key issues from a health and environmental perspective that they needed to pay attention to. So, you know, our goal was to make it easy for them to help scale it, to address what we knew were their barriers. And, um, it, you know, it has worked very well. And as you can imagine, when we're selling to a university, we're talking about, you know, keeping the kids safe in residential halls. We're talking about, you know, making sure that office buildings and, cla uh, and classrooms on a campus are, you know, cleaned in a way that, you know, improves productivity related issues and performance of the students and the teachers. And you can imagine that when we're selling to a hospital, that's not what we talk about. Right, we're going to talk about how do we eliminate hospital-acquired infections and, you know, how do we have better health outcomes. So learning what the individual organization is concerned about, what their issues are, tailoring our presentation to address what they need, um, all made it easier for them to say, yep, we can do this. And that's what we've been able to do at the end of the day, it's sort of like know who, who you're engaging with and what the KPIs are. Uh, KPIs commonly being used as uh, key performance indicators for those who don't know the business lingo. One thing that's key to pick up on here is you kind of mentioned with a little bit of pride your work with the Green Sports Alliance. So this all seems like a little bit of a new thing to me. I'm, I, I kind of fail, in a sense, to see the connection between sustainability and sports. I know you love, personally, to incorporate sports whenever you're talking to someone to illustrate a point. 
Why do you think that uh, sports is such a key tool for educating people and engaging with the public at large? Well, first of all, I personally love sports. But I, I also recognize that sports to me is a language. It's a language. And it's a language that's spoken by 70% of Americans. 70% of Americans are into sports. It's, it's a language just like um, Spanish or what have you. And it's a culture. Mm -hmm. And so, so not only do I care about it, but I think sports is an interesting um, I'm not sure if metaphor is the right word, or, but where I'm going with this is, especially when we think about elite performance, you know, I want to be as good as I'm capable of being, right? God has given us all unique gifts. Part of our journey in life is to maximize them, to, you know, see what we really got, or at least those people who believe that stuff. And sports is a great way to really talk about what does it take to be an elite performer? Yep. You know, not only understanding and having the various physical and mental attributes to be successful, but all the other things, the commitment to excellence. Right? You don't see, you know, a pro player who sort of kind of shows up once in a while and doesn't really practice and spends most of his day drinking beer and hanging out. Right, we see the commitment to excellence, the time spent not just on the court, but practicing before the game, practicing after the game, practice, you know, that really work to perfect their performance. And also sports is really fascinating because we learn lots of other things, especially when we work in team environments. Right? Very few of us actually are totally independent. So when we find ourselves working together, sports is also a great language to communicate different issues. You know, here's a good example. Sports are really good about rules. You know, in basketball, college basketball, you get five fouls and you're out of the game. Well, understanding what those rules are is really important to being successful at it and knowing that there's actually some accountability if you violate the rules. Sports is really good at metrics. You know, you look at baseball players, they study everything. Can you hit a curveball? Can you hit a high inside pitch, a, high, a low outside pitch? Can you hit, you know, a knuckleball? How do you do on the first strike, the second strike, on three, two counts? Sports is amazing in terms of metrics so that the players really understand what they have to work at. So, you know, everyone loves Michael Jordan. He was an amazing basketball player. He was an amazingly mediocre baseball player because he couldn't hit a curveball. You know, how do we really learn about the things that we want to improve on? And sports really can give us some insights of how to talk to people about improving their game. What are the rules? How do you deal with frustrations? How do, right? how do you object without being ejected from the game? I assure you, throwing a chair at the referees is not how to do it no matter how colorful and how smart you are and how good you are at what you do, learning how to object appropriately is important lessons we learn from sports. 
So yeah, I love sports. I love watching them. I love hanging out with athletes. And through the Green Sports Alliance, while most of the members are the people who run the facilities, many of them were former athletes that loved athletics so much that they got a, became a professional in the space. So it's cool hanging out with them. And then, again, I think that sports really can be a great language. You know, things like taking care of our bodies. Our bodies are like cars, right? We all love the Indianapolis 500. You know, so what kind of car are you? Are you this elite race car? Or are you, you know, this broken down jalopy that has flat tires and, you know, we never change the oil and we don't air up the tires and, you know, we don't tune the engines. What kind of car are we? So, you know, the NASCAR analogy is really a valuable one. And then the final thing, Alex, that I want to mention is that I really care about what's going on and what future I'm leaving for you and future generations. I really do care. One of the challenges that we have is that so much of this has become politicized. So what I also like about sports is I'm not just talking about round ball sports. Okay. You know, we talk, I mentioned auto racing, but, you know, I think all of us care about conservation. People who hunt and fish understand that. They understand about being responsible in the environment. They, we understand things like efficiency. No one wants to waste stuff, right? That's definitely a Hoosier value. We why waste anything? Why? You know, so conservation, efficiency, not wanting to waste, caring for the environment. Those are not political issues to me. And what athletics, what sports does is take the lessons that people like myself have learned and giving players the opportunity to really be spokespeople in our culture, to reinforce what it takes to be successful at life and to really make a difference on the issues that we really care about. So before I let you go, I have a few quick questions, just a little bit about COVID. Obviously, that has irrevocably changed the world over the past year and a half. So my first question was, how did you keep yourself and those you're living with sane while you were stuck indoors, particularly out there in Southern California, where there were some times where it was particularly strict out in the Los Angeles region. Candidly, um, Carrie and I are vulnerable people, right? We, mm -hmm. we had other reasons for wanting to be healthy and safe. And also I spent a lot of time um, with CDC understanding and learning about what was going on. So we took this really seriously. And what's interesting, Alex, is in the sort of green building community, we actually talk about this concept of building community. Yeah. And, and usually it's a concept that's being talked about by architects and interior designers. How do you build neighborhoods? How do you lay things out so that, you know, the, the residents interact with each other and their paths cross and there's places to grab coffee together and so forth and so on. But my point being, it's usually thought, uh, thought about from an architectural perspective, a design construction perspective. So 
So during COVID, to keep ourselves sane, I sort of use it as an opportunity to think about, well, how do we literally build community? You know, I live in an amazing area. I live on the marina that goes out to the ocean here. And, you know, my backyard, I have a dock that, you know, it, it, it's amazing. And my, you know, my neighbors live on across the marina. So um, things that we did to try to build community was to really try to think about how do we connect with people? So um, we, for example, played music every night for 10 minutes to get our neighbors, who many of which are elderly, to be able to come back, come outside on their back decks and for 10 minutes, wave at each other and dance and move around and, you know, just connect with their neighbors. Um, we made food and shared food. Um, and by we, I'm really talking about Carrie. She loves to cook. And, you know, we, she made jams and jellies and salsas and pastries and you name it. And what was really cool about this was when we initiated those kind of things, our neighbors also started sharing as well. Mm -hmm. And so it really did bring us together and a shared experience. And we actually made friends. Um, we made friends with the people who ran the city where I live because we had to get permits for some of the music events that we did. Um, but it was really a wonderful experience. Um, thank God that we were safe. I have to admit that not all of my neighbors fared quite as well. But it was an interesting challenge. We learned a lot. Obviously, I was extremely busy because we developed training programs for the labor unions to train frontline janitors. We um, developed a similar program for non-unionized workers. You know, we were very engaged with learning about COVID, protecting our workers, making sure people knew how to clean, looking at product from a green perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So between just the work and sort of, you know, I love our neighbors. You know, I feel blessed. We live in a cool place, lots of great people. And, um, you know, when you give and serve and you care for other people, it certainly increases the likelihood that they will respond, you know, as well. So, you know, COVID was, um, um, you know, we flourished during COVID. Um, and um, I, I feel very fortunate for that. I think you guys actually go by, you have a little bit of your own side thing now with regards to the music stuff. Uh, DJ Mandalay, is, is that it? Yep, um, it's sort of funny, but um, yeah, you know, just to try to bring some joy to the neighborhood and Carrie loves music as I do. And, you know, being in Bloomington, obviously with the School of Music there, we played all different kinds of music. So, yep, um, we became known as DJ Mandalay. And I have to admit, I learned a few good dance moves to get out there on the uh, deck and encourage my neighbors to get up and move around. So it was fun and silly and embarrassing sometimes. But, you know, it was good energy. And candidly, Alex, that's the kind of thing that keeps us young. Do you have any advice for folks, you know, as we venture out into this brave new world? Uh, I don't want to call it a post-COVID world because uh, knocking on wood here, there's always another variant that might come up. But anything that you have advice for our listeners, whether it's cleaning related, 
philosophical life perspective, anything you want to share? Well, one of the main things that I want to share is just I want everyone to know that they're important and that what they do matters. You know, whether when you go to the grocery store and you buy a roll of toilet paper or you buy that glass cleaner that I keep mentioning, Mm -hmm. your purchase is sending a message to the manufacturers about the things that you value. And so know that you can make a difference. You really can. And I'm very proud of what I've accomplished in my career because I wanted to serve and make a difference. And I want to encourage everyone to keep learning and really believe that you can make a difference. The other thing that I just want to say is I want to encourage all of your listeners to please take care of themselves and their health. Mm -hmm. And and I don't just mean their physical health. You know, we're seeing so much impacts on people's mental health. And, you know, these days, it, it makes me sad when I see how angry people are. And so we really have to learn to listen to each other and to be patient with each other and to really have this shared vision that we live in such an amazing country, that we have so many opportunities and can opportunities that don't exist every place in the world. And to make sure that we're taking advantage, full advantage to whatever level or degree that you can to contribute and to be a positive force in life. So those are the things that I want to really encourage. Um, I do want to say, Alex, I'm really proud of you. I'm delighted that you've worked hard to do these kind of things, right? They didn't give you this. You had to (laughs) learn your way up and work to do this and learn how to get better at it. And I hope you'll continue to try to do that. And whether, you know, obviously for you at the radio station, but all the ways to serve your community, to serve your neighbors, to serve the university, to serve your employer, to be kind and to be generous. And, you know, I think that's what contributes to a good life. Thank you very much for the kind words. I appreciate it. So it looks like our time is coming to an end. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for another wonderful evening of Big Talk. Steve, thank you so much. Our guest tonight was Steve Ashkin, business owner, market transformation guru, one half of DJ Mandalay, and the father of green cleaning. Thank you so much, and everyone have a great evening. Goodbye. It's a, but it's a...